Hello and welcome to the 32nd episode of Pin Count, the podcast where we go deep into the tech. We're not your normal tech news podcast. We'll dig into the APIs, look at the tech specs and sweat the details. We're not journalists. We're developers and computer scientists. I'm Ian Wallace and I'm here with my co-host Douglas Shearer. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. It's been a while since we recorded the last one. I'm trying to think when yeah, the last the one la- was. It's October, I think. It's a long time. Been busy. Yeah, a lot of traveling. Yeah. So apparently we've got a follow-up, if anyone can remember what on earth we were talking about. Please write to us at uh, wrongontheinternet at pinkoutpodcast.com. You've had a hard drive flake out? Yeah, so two episodes we talked about backups, and in the last episode we talked about old computers, and I actually thought of a story that combines the two. I think it was 2003, I had, or four, I had a, a PC, the MD Athlon X2800 or something. But the hard drive in it, it had a hard drive crash and I had no backups of it. You know, take your backups mm-hmm. before I learned that. So my solution there was to hope the data was still on the platter. So I went and bought an identical hard drive and just in my um, flat in the kitchen, just took the broken hard drive apart, took the new hard drive apart, swapped the platters between them, got the drive to run long enough to take the data off, put it on another drive and then I threw both of the drives away. Okay. I don't recommend this if your data is really valuable, but as a student, it worked great. I think if your data is valuable, pay a professional to do the same, right? Yeah. Have you seen the um, the Linus Tech Tips YouTube video where he goes and has an attempt at a platter swap? Yeah, I saw that. They do. They showed like various different recovery methods and such, like and testing tools they've got for the hard drives. I think we'll drop that in the show notes. It's really worth a look. They can do some cool stuff. Um, they have, they obviously have clean rooms and such, like. Yeah, not a kitchen table. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I don't think I've ever had to do any extreme recovery methods for anything. Might have done some toothpaste on a CD. <laughs> yeah. You just polish it out of scratch. Yeah. The other one's like Vaseline on a CD just to get it to, you know, read it. Hmm. You know, it just like fills the scratch in. It's like a similar um, refractive index, so it still works. Okay, so your other follow-up here is LLVM and WebKit is no longer the new hotness. What is the new hotness? Tell me more. So a while ago we talked about... You've got a link from 2016. This is not new hotness. It's not new hotness, but I think I talked about LLVM doing some of the JavaScript backend in the WebKit, what would you call it, Render, web rendering engine that Safari uses and um, Google's Blinks for from and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, um, they used to use LLVM, which is used to compile almost everything on Apple platforms and lots of other platforms. It's just like a sort of compiler framework that's the best way I can describe it it's probably completely wrong but anyway they don't use that anymore they wrote a new thing called FTGJIT which is faster than light just in time compiler there's a good uh, blog post as you see from 2016 on the WebKit blog about how this came about basically they were just looking for more optimization or something that was more specific to compiling JavaScript yeah how it came about how they went around about designing it and building it it's a really good post it is really long um i think i found it immense to paper queue um, and did eventually get around to reading it but yeah really worth the read um it's amazing how much technology is in our web rendering engine llvm describes itself as a compiler infrastructure and do you know what llvm stands for low level virtual machine no it doesn't stand for anything it's the full name of it apparently really yeah llvm.org there you go oh yeah it just doesn't I always just okay that's cool I wonder where I got low level virtual machines well you think it would but it's like 
Oh, so the name LLVM was originally an initialism for low-level virtual machine. This initialism has officially been removed to avoid confusion as the LLVM has evolved into an umbrella project and has little relationship to what most current developers think of as a virtual machine. Okay, so that that's why I was confused about whether it counts as a sort of compiler framework thing. Right. Because that's what it is, but the VM bit's a bit confusing. So, they've okay, they've rebranded but kept the initialism. That's cool. Anyway, so I think we're just going to rattle through interesting news since last time, since it's been a long time. I think top news is CES is still a thing that happens. Yeah, I mean, you said earlier this week the CES was on and I hadn't seen anything about it. And I was like, really? It's still on? It's, um, yeah, the Computer Entertainment... No, sorry, Consumer... Electronics show. Electronics show? Yeah. 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 Struggling with the initialisms today. So the first link you got here, an area... 51M laptop? I thought I'm normally well on top of the Hyper GPU laptops. What the hell is this? So Alienware Area 51M. This is... It looks quite cool. Alienware basically decided to make a bigger laptop. Instead of doing what everyone's doing and making a smaller laptop, they've made a bigger laptop. Bigger laptop. Have you seen an existing 17-inch Alienware? <laughs> yeah. So you, this you, is like... You probably have. They're visible from space. Yeah. So I can't see the thicknesses in this immediately. It is very thick. It uses a full desktop oh, It's a proper CPU. chunky boy. I'm looking at the size of the RG45 yeah. in the back. Their big sort of selling point on it is that you can, the graphics processor, the GPU, is on like a separate daughter board that's of their own design. Oh, what? Not an MXM? Not an MXM. And they hope that in the future they'll be able to produce newer cards and let you swap it out. It's actually designed inside to be user serviceable. Um, It's all like standard PC components inside. Um, I'm looking at the teardown here, actually. Oh, yeah, they've got like a daughter board for the GPU. And, oh, socketed CPU. Yeah, it's like a desktop CPU, just um, mm. whatever this, the current socket is. Um, there's a this is a Verja. What do you mean, whatever the current socket is, as if that's good enough for pink out. <laughs> I don't even know what the LG eleven fifty seven. I'm just trying right? to work out. I'm just trying to work out what chips we've got in here. I mean, if we don't know how many pins, I mean, okay, it takes a ninety nine hundred K and a ninety nine hundred K is on so what I'm platform? I'm just looking at them. I feel we should know this. We're slipping. FCLG 1151. Right, 1151 pins. Yeah. This is an 8-core, 5-gig part. That is mental. Yeah, in a, in a notebook PC. There's a video that goes with this Verge article where they've got... It's got two power adapters. <laughs> yeah. I'm, just, I'm just looking at the ports on the back. There's a, a video that goes with this. It's an interview with the Alienware lead product guy, and he says it gets terrible battery life. They don't know if they're going to be able to make newer GPUs that will fit in this because they just don't know what the roadmap's like and we know whether the um, the interface standards will change. Um, but if you buy one with a low-end spec, they do guarantee you can upgrade to higher-end spec. So you can get RTX, RTX 2080s in this. So if you bought a 2060, you could up, upgrade it. If you bought an i7-8700, you could get an i9-9900K in it if you wanted. So you can upgrade it now to higher-end current parts. But they Why do they bother putting a battery in there? 90 watt hour one as well. It's not a small battery. So he's, they reckon you get... They said on laptop benchmark, battery benchmarks, they get like three hours, but they're actually going to say an hour because he's saying it's pretty much a portable workstation, especially with the two power supply situation. It's an interesting idea. I, like I like what they're trying to do. I'm just not sure who the market for it is. I, 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 I'm seriously actually thinking about buying one of these for work. Um, <laughs> but not because of the upgradability, but because of the desktop class components, I would guess. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Tell me, I want to know about his Linux support. I think I'm pretty niche there. 
they're going to release it later this year so I don't think there's actual specs out for ah, okay. it it we'll wasn't on the Alienware it wasn't year, on the like. Alienware website earlier on so yeah, rubbish they've got the new um, M15Xs and M17Xs though, which are pretty interesting yeah I've so, not had a close look at those there's also new um, Razer yeah but Razers just don't have a good rep for after sales anyway okay so what else have we got um, going so on then, in CES then, the other thing that happened, I mean, apart from lots of televisions, LG, I don't know if you've seen it, they've got, they had a foldable display for the last two years, it was like a technology demo. Oh, who's not had a foldable had a, display? They had a prototype TV that rolled up in a little box at the bottom okay. of the TV. Well, now, now they've got that as an actual product. All right, okay. Um, no pricing yet, but based on their, they did that paper-thin TV or invisible TV or something it was called last year. It was like $8,000. I would reckon this is going to be ten dollars um, it's a pretty cool looking thing and then back to sort of relevant things to us um, Intel had a keynote there where they went, they sort of announced some products or more information about things they had at their roadmap it's like the 10 nanometer and then they've got what is like an arm big little but with x86 so they've got core and atom in the same in the same package right yeah so the first thing is Ice Lake U which is going to be their volume 10 nanometer parts and these are the kind of CPUs you might get in Something you might buy. Yeah. yeah, something you might buy, yeah. And then the other thing they've got is Lakefield, which is some core cores and some Atom cores inside the same package. As you say, going for the sort of arm, big little thing. Um, the reason for this is one of their customers, and they won't say who it is, asked for a CPU that would consume 2 milliwatts at idle, yeah, which is quite impressive. That's like tablet use case, right? Or super long standby. Yeah, so the guess was there's that um, Lenovo Zenbook, I think it is, with the two displays. They wondered if it was maybe that to run one of the displays um, when it's doing nothing, just showing status information. But that's, um, I don't know, it's kind of interesting because like, modern CPUs have for a long time been faster than most people need most of the time. So having Core and Atom in the same package, you could, you know, you can sell the high clock speeds but actually have it way more power efficient for most usage. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting it's kind of come to this because we've talked about like CPUs being able to step up from being like really fast to really slow. But actually, when you redesign the core entirely, which is what we see with ARM, um, you actually get way lower power usage in most of the performance. So this is them maybe trying to compete with that a little bit. Um, it'd be interesting to know who the customer is and if other people will pick it up. Mm, yeah, be just to benchmark one of them, see benchmarks when things appear in. Also... Intel news, you've got the yeah, the ninth gen stuff is out now. Is what is ninth gen? That's just a tick 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 or something, right? Yeah, something like that. So they announced the, the sort of enthusiast CPUs a while ago. We just talked about them, like the i9 9900K, i7 9700K. So these are all the other ones, like um, i5 50, sorry, 80, oh, sorry, 9400, it would be that sort of thing. The ones that appear in regular PCs all the time. So they've just announced them and pricing for some of them as well. So they're going to start appearing in a lot more PCs you can buy in the shops pretty soon. Um, okay. Nothing particularly exciting. It just shows their spread and the technology out to like their whole. The up and down of the product line and the other thing I've got here is a while ago there was the Xeon tech demo where they had the 28 core Xeon clocked up to some mega numbers and the, there was a bit of brouhaha brouhaha is that the one okay there was a bit of brouhaha about how the demo was done and whether they had like an industrial chiller hooked up to it well this is now going to be an actual product we've talked about it before the Xeon W-3175X is 28 cores it's unlocked out of the box um, and they've sort of 
just announced pricing or they're telling people pricing or an OEM is telling people pricing I don't know whether they should it'll be around $8,000 for the part um, and I saw Ian Cutris on Twitter wondering whether high frequency trading people will buy it up because that seems like the only market for a $8,000 single socket CPU I've just been looking at the um, ninth gen core stuff there's some pretty interesting stuff in there I mean like even at the low end there's the i3 they've announced 9350KF Four cores, four threads, up to four point six gig on an i three. Yeah. It's pretty pretty mad. Um, six six cores, six threads, i fives. This is the first sort of CPU generation in a while, and even though there's no big technology shift, because they've added so many more cores, the lower end becomes like a lot like a better prospect for a lot more PCs. Like as you say, i three, you get four cores now. Um, I've still fourteen nanometer. Yeah. I've been quite happy using a two-core i3 in my gaming PC and it runs fine. Four cores would be better. Well, now you get four cores by default on almost everything. So six in the middle and eight at the top. Yeah, the, the other interesting stuff I saw, I mean, so we saw the, you talked a bit briefly in the Alienware stuff, the mobile platform, as in laptop platform, RTX, GPUs. The other interesting NVIDIA thing is they've started supporting G-Sync on some FreeSync monitors, yep. which is interesting because I wonder, like, technically how that's happening, right? Because... So, uh, background, if you don't know, like um, adaptive sync, so you can adjust the refresh rate dynamically to the GPU's frame rate so you don't get tearing and, you know, everything is nice and smooth. FreeSync implementation that AMD primarily uses is actually an open implementation. Anyone can implement FreeSync. G-Sync is not. It's proprietary. It's NVIDIA's thing. You need an extra chip and board in the monitor. NVIDIA are saying they're enabling G-Sync on certain FreeSync monitors. Now, they clearly don't have whatever the chips required for G-Sync in them are. So I assume yeah. this is just NVIDIA starting to support FreeSync? Yeah, I think the the headlines on this are the wrong way around. I think what you've said is correct. And I also wonder, well, they might be announcing it like that, and I also wonder then if that's in the drivers, how long before someone's doing some sort of hack to make it support any FreeSync monitor? Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it sounds like it's almost entirely all at the GPU end, so they're, they're updating the firmware on the GPU, whatever little cpus doing the video output they're just saying i'll output these extra signals as well when it's doing that and it's working fine it is interesting to see two competing standards compete one proprietary one open and then the sort of the producer of the proprietary standard then deciding to actually do the open standard as well and then also unlike cpu news this is an old one i don't know if you saw this link the fact that microsoft have been doing some interesting kernel work and sharing results on uh running systems with um, 896 cores in them. Yeah. <laughs> it's 32 28-core CPUs in one box, in one machine, 32-socket machine running Windows. <laughs> That's absolutely insane. I want to go on that. The big Xeons where they say they're designed for like four and eight-socket configurations, um, they tend to actually allow like higher number of sockets, just nobody makes the boards for them. I'm sure if you're big enough, Intel's willing to give you support to run more sockets, and I guess that's what Microsoft have got. I would really like to see what these boxes look like, though, because there's going to be some funny bridge stuff going on in those motherboards. Yeah, interesting fabric. This is a bit random, this link you've dropped in here, but global kernel locks in APFS. So again, this is an article I think is a good read. It's, it's reasonably short. It's a gentleman called... Yeah, Gergizork, yeah. Um, he's got a post about investigating um, sort of modern storage, MVME storage support in the uh, Apple macOS kernel, in particular with uh, APFS, Apple's sort of latest file system. Um, and he was finding that actual 
kernel design and file system design was actually slowing the hardware down um, and he sort of posits toward the, towards the end that this is very common amongst software now because um, lots of storage infrastructure and um, uh, drivers and file system designs were written or theorized at a time when we had spinning hard drives or even slower storage so now that the hardware's caught up with the software the software's really struggling to keep up with the performance that the hardware can actually produce um, so we're actually leaving a lot of performance on the floor with modern um, storage that hopefully someone will get around to um, dealing with and he he basically looks into global locks that lock in the entire file system or entire blocks of the file system and prevent other reads and writes from happening it's a good post yeah, it does look interesting. I have to read this. My next up is something I didn't talk about CPUs and GPUs. Is we kind of reached an interesting turning point. Um, I thought this was first November when it was. This is so Google. Google has something called BERT, which is a big um, language model for like neural translation and and NLP stuff. And the interesting thing is some of the results are sort of state there are results they trained. You cannot train the model on a GPU. You need yeah. a TPU for the batch sizes. So batch sizes are how many examples you can think of it like um, a neural net updates its weights by pushing examples of training data through it, and then you update it. It's a noisy process, so you put through large batches. They're called so you can think of it like averaging out the noise. Um, the batch sizes that require for training their Bert large model don't fit on sixteen gig GPUs. It needs a sixty four gig TPU to run it. I know at the time when I tweeted about this, they're working on training tricks to make it work in a GPU, but that was back in the 1st of <coughs> November and there's still no GPU implementation of that. So this is deep learning stuff that you cannot train on a GPU, which is interesting. Like I did yeah. wonder when this would happen. I think um hypothesized this a long, long time ago. And do you think this is because of it's easier to add memory to the TPUs or because Google's controlling the whole stack, they can say to their hardware people, can you make TPUs with more RAM because that would save us effort at the software side or during training or whatever? Is it a control thing or is it an ease of hardware thing? Good question. I think it's I think it's a different trade-off thing because they're not building a like, silly thing to say, but they're building a TPU, not a GPU. They don't necessarily want absolute memory bandwidth is the, the way that the memory is handled is differently when you're training now. Yeah. So, I mean, this is the whole thing behind uh, GraphCore and the way that their chips work is think about it like lots of little bits of well distributed memory at different processing units rather than one big single sort of lump of memory that a massively parallel thing communicates with so like yeah. you're holding uh, you can think of it holding like lots of the model in memory all at once where it's needed for the computation rather than having one big bank of memory that you're trying to access so that's where they, yeah. they're looking to achieve the extreme performance on that note i was going to say with the graph core stuff their designs are really cool like i like the look of their uh, their gpu shrouds and things they got they got a pentagram to do them some funky design stuff i think i'll dump the link in there i suppose there's also the fact that when google are designing the tpus they're, they're not got the same power constraints you might have on a like a pci card or even whatever nvidia are doing with their higher end um like sort of um enterprise gpus you know they they can have as much power in the cabinet as they want in the cabinet um and there's yeah. no space limitation either it's not one card it's like well we've got a whole big board that slides in on a drawer so and i don't think they're trying to scale so like the amazing thing if you like and one of the great things about nvidia cards is i can get a big tesla v100 and write run CUDA code on that which i can also run on a tiny embedded jetson chip right it's yeah that's quite amazing really whereas maybe for we're seeing a split right 
also like so we have um uh, other chips appearing like we've got preferred networks who are behind chainer uh in japan they've got their chips coming out mn core so put a link in here we've got i think intel announced new inference boards and intel's chips they had a thing in their keynote i've got the link still here yeah so uh nirvana chip um intel nirvana nmpi uh which is a chip just for inference okay yeah the interesting thing here is this i mean this is it's really this um, language processing result where you're getting a situation where GPUs cannot do a thing, and that must be a you know it's it's the start of a change, right? It's taken longer than I thought, to be honest, for the um, yeah. dedicated for there to be state of the art results on dedicated hardware that can't run the generic GPUs, but it is happening. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's the it's the jump from doing something on more general har- hardware and more specific hardware, and then there's different trade offs to be made there as well. So. Okay, so you got some uh, classic new AWS services stuff that you're dumping in here. Yeah, so at the end of November, AWS had their AWS reInvent conference where they announced like millions of new things every day, and it's almost impossible to keep up. These were some of my not favorite things. I think the most interesting things for us. There was a bunch of new things that were super interesting for various reasons. The first one is every year they announce something that seems absolutely ridiculous, and this is it. Um, it's called AWS Ground Station, and it's uh, the sort of subtitles ingest and process data from orbiting satellites. And this is Amazon have a couple of ground stations with big satellites um, around the world. I think they're soon going to have twelve by the end of the year. Yeah, twelve by mid twenty nineteen. And you can rent time on these, download your data or upload your data to your satellites that you have because you're a Bond villain. <laughs> and, you know, Amazon will do the... It doesn't cost a lot to launch a satellite. A small CubeSat that's like 4-inch by 4-inch format. You can launch one for about 70k. You can have a satellite. Yeah, so the really interesting thing about this is there was like, I saw, it's not on this link, but I saw a price comparison between using Amazon ground station and using like a traditional ground station from someone else and the amount of setup work that's involved in using a traditional one compared to this is massive and that incurs massive costs so this is great for people who are yet like you say launching one cubesat and then want to speak to it um because they, they know when they can get access to it they can book access to it programmatically yeah it's one of the things seems ridiculous but actually isn't really that ridiculous and also the big amazon news really for us pink out stuff has got to be their own chips yeah so they also announced um 64-bit gravitron gra- or graviton processor uh, it's a amd built arm cpu and you can actually get these in instances now they've got an a1 class ec2 instance where you can get these and test them out and such like um i have entirely failed to test these out so far because the build of my provisioning script tries to look for a version of chef that doesn't exist because it's a different architecture and i've not got around to fixing it yet because it was busy with other things in december but this is this is super interesting so why is it interesting tell us why it's interesting i mean it's, it's interesting mostly so i mean the, the main interesting thing here is that it's amazon don't have to buy chips from intel for this or amd we'll get to that in a second i mean these are being made by amd but it sounds like a lot of the design work's been done by amazon themselves because they've been doing we've talked about their network enhanced network adapters before and their own networking kick where they're they are doing their own uh, hardware and silicon this is more of that and this is them trying to build more of their own platform using their own things they work out a little bit cheaper than the sort of amazon t or ec2 t3 instances for sort of similarish performance from what i've seen with other people's benchmarks 
these are available right now, the same interfaces that exist for everything else. If you use EC2, it's pretty easy to go and get one of these and compare it, you know, run your tasks on it, see how they sort of stack up. That's mainly what it's there for just now. I don't know of anyone, I've not seen anyone saying they're running production workloads on it. Um, it's like a it's a technology preview kind of situation, but they're in production. You know, They're happy for you to use them for whatever you want. They're um, in the data centers. Um, it's quite an exciting thing. I'm looking forward to future iterations of it. Interesting. Like, it's, it's until NVIDIA's time coming to an end, I wonder. Or ARM isn't just trolling us after our episode where we said we didn't see big ARM boxes going <laughs> anywhere. Then immediately they all came out. Yeah, so that, that is an interesting thing. It was a few episodes where I said... I didn't really see any of the sort of server um, ARM CPUs going anywhere because everyone seemed to be pulling the plug on the project. And I imagine lots of them pulled the plug because they heard that Amazon was working on their own one. That's mm, a big reason to pull yeah. the plug because your biggest customers just said, now nah, we're doing it ourselves. And if Amazon are, what are Microsoft and Google doing? Microsoft, Google, Facebook, Apple, they're all going to have a thing like this, like a project like this, even if like for those other ones, maybe Google and Microsoft will you know, sell it externally, but it's all about the internal stuff. If they think there's an advantage they can leverage the lower cost, they're going to do it. Well, and if Amazon have an advantage, why wouldn't Google or uh, Facebook or Microsoft, right? They would. Yeah, yeah, they would. I mean, like, honestly, I didn't think Amazon were going to be the first to launch this. I thought it was going to be because like him. Um, Intel and Microsoft seems to have been on the newer Intel chips sooner than Amazon. I don't know whether that's a scale thing. Amazon are just so much bigger; they have to move a tiny bit slower to get new things out there in like reasonable numbers that their cust- the, the, their massive customer base can actually use them. That Amazon have got these out in customers' hands as soon as they announced them is pretty amazing. Yeah. So, uh, new pink out news: five thousand nine hundred and three pins. Maybe. Uh, wait, wait, wait. We've skipped a thing. We've skipped a thing. Oh, have we? The other announcement. Um, that was sort of relevant to us is you can now get AMD CPUs like x86 Epic CPUs on EC2 as well um, so they've got like direct you can get for the M5 and the C5 instances and some of the other ones you can get direct versions with an AMD CPU rather than an Intel CPU why would anyone want that? I don't know again because I've not had the time to run it I've not had the chance to compare it with the stuff I, I work on um, again, it's there just to try it out. They're a tiny bit cheaper than the Intel, Intel equivalents for equivalents or a CPU and memory, roughly. Um, whether they're cheaper or not, I don't know. Um, like you say, I'm not really sure who it's aimed at. I think it's just to get AMD in the door and maybe sweeten them up so they'll make the ARM CPUs. Mm-hmm. Don't know. So, sorry. Anyway, pin count news. On you go. Yeah, 5,903 pins. Uh, New Zealand's. Uh, all the pins because 12 channels of memory per socket which is mental yeah. yeah I'm looking forward to seeing the um, the actual die numbers in these I don't think they've actually got them no um, it's just like rumours and stuff yeah so 40 cores which will be oh, I can't do math 96 like virtualized cores yeah like, it's, it's kind of mad um, 14 nanometers again 14 nanometer again interesting there is literally no more news than everything we've just said so um, yeah and then also other kind of CPU stuff here, I put in this link about um, uh, a cheap non-X86 motherboard. So you can get basically a, a motherboard, modern motherboard with a 4-core Power 9 CPU for 1200 bucks. Yeah, I hadn't seen this before we started doing the show notes, just before this show. This is amazing. I absolutely want one of these. <laughs> want to do what with? Just I, I don't know. It's just one of those things, like I've always, like I've said this before, I've always wanted to own a power like CPU. I always wanted one of the Sun Niagara processors um, mm, which are yeah. one of the first like really sort of paralyzed um general purpose cpus 
um, SmugMug had some of his database servers for a while and they had all sorts of benchmarks on them and they were really interesting. The interesting thing I noticed on the picture of this board is there are only two RAM slots, so you can't really get much RAM in there. But it's an interesting idea. Be, I mean, I guess there's people prototyping stuff in Power 9 that this would be useful too. Yeah, this is low-end Power 9, right? Yeah. I, see, I've, I see a lot of Power 9 stuff when I'm at NVIDIA conferences and it's more like you're buying a supercomputer. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. sort of thing. In the past, we've talked about um, adversarial examples for computer vision, like people wearing... Um, spectacles with funny patterns on them and it makes the AI think it's looking at a dog or something rather than a person, you know, whatever. This was a paper um, where they actually fool humans and the computer vision algorithms because the humans are time limited in the time that they're allowed to look at the, the, the images. Quite an interesting paper. Um, it's just like a, I just like it as an extension of the idea that you can fool AI while you can also fool humans as well um, yeah. in a sort of not dissimilar way. It's cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, humans easily fooled. Remind me to tell you about adversarial bananas sometime. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so the and the final thing I've got here, um, we talk a lot about like Facebook and Google and other like people that publish a lot of papers and they'll say we've got this result. We've managed to do such and such with deep learning or AI, and um, you only need you know sixty four Titan V CPUs and ten weeks to run them or something, and that just seems that's like out of reach for most people. This is a paper where the title is "Fast and Accurate Object Detection: High High Resolution 4K and 8K Video Using GPUs." And in this paper, what they're trying to do is build an architecture, software and hardware wise. The hardware is really modest, um, so they can do real time. Like you've got a mobile app, you send an image to a server, the image runs the object detection and sends the results back, and it's doing that in like hundreds of milliseconds so that the user gets a res- response in a reasonable time. And this is really interesting to me because although I enjoy the can we do it thing, I also like the place where I work and do things is can we do this in a reasonable amount of time and give someone a response now? And this is the first paper I've seen doing this. It's really interesting. It's a fairly naive way that they're directing the attention, though. It's just kind of like, uh, it's interesting that this works. Well, they pair of P100s, yeah. This is the, that's the thing with the, you know, doing anything like this. You've got to figure out, like, what is good enough, you know? Like, the, once the business case becomes, we want a response quickly, you have to sort of start making trade-offs based on that. And this this paper does discuss the pa- the trade offs. Yeah, what frame rate do they get then? Okay, so they're getting a handful of like three frames a second or something, but that's actually quite quick. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's fine for detecting, like, say you're detecting faces in a photograph you're taking, but maybe not enough for your self driving car. Thanks for listening to Pin Count. Show notes are online at pincountpodcast.com. You can find me on Twitter at Douglas F Shearer. You can find Ian on Twitter at at the underscore accidental. You can follow the show at Pincount Podcast. We'd love to get your feedback. Tweet us or use the hashtag AskPincount or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. For longer feedback or if you just can't explain how wrong we got something without reference to the API documentation and CAD drawings, email wrong on the internet at pincountpodcast.com. Don't think we've got any after show, have we? Nah, I think I want to go and get my dinner now. Not your dinner?